0: The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of Return the Jewels. Uh, it's a rainy day and I got a million things to do, so I'm just gonna get this intro out of the way. Uh, this is a really good episode. We have today a very special guest. Her name is Electra Tellisford. She's a comedian, she's Guyanese, Black, Indian, Amerindian. I hope I'm doing all of that right. But um, we had a really good conversation. We talked about, like, you know, marginalization in the entertainment industry, how, uh, narratives that, uh, you know, intend to be authentic, uh, somehow get minstrelized and, um, you know, just generally how to navigate those corporate spaces, dealing with uh, corporate spaces that are involved in entertainment and content production and advertising and and navigating those spaces, dealing with microaggressions while also, you know, not having to be a token, all, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's a really good interview. Um, have fun with it. Listen to it. You know, take your time. Whatever. It's pretty heady conversation. Um, also, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Right there is our website. Um, there's more info there. Uh, we appreciate all your support. Thank you. Oh yeah, here's Electra Teleport.
1: Hey.
0: How's it going? How are you doing today?
1: I'm solid. Pretty pretty good right now.
0: Yeah, I know <laughs> you were telling me you're in Zoom calls all over. Um, so, you know, we're not going to try to take too much of your time. We really appreciate you being here. So Perfect. I'm going to jump into it. Um, we start off with a segment that we call...
2: Tokenize Your Finish
0: Mm -hmm. And in this, it's like maybe share a personal anecdote or maybe somebody, uh, an anecdote from somebody you know Mm -hmm. that um, has been in a situation where they were either tokenized or fetishized. And hopefully you can elaborate the difference between the two and -hmm. experiencing it and, um, you know, let us know. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I don't know if you have one.
1: Um, Yeah, so I think... I I would think about it in terms of the the comedy space, it's a very uh, common conversation in terms of, I do a lot of what would be considered white rooms. Mm -hmm. And um, I think oftentimes when I talk to other black comics about doing white rooms, not, not specifically about me, but there is this idea that like black comics that do white rooms are there only as a token versus like the value of what, or like the, not merit, but like their comedy. Right, so I'd say that um, that's something that comes up really frequently and is a source of ire for me. It's a bit frustrating to have that conversation all the time, um, but and I think the difference between you know, like fetishize and tokenize is uh, fetish feels like a bit sexual. It feels like there's always a sexual connotation okay. to fetishizing versus tokenized. Um, I think there's a tokenized can be non-sexual, and it also to me. Um, feels like it's like a weird like a warped sense of like positiveness to being the token like I think that like a token is supposed to be a pot it's not a positive thing but a token is positive like when you think about like the objective and the what what it is supposed to be um but being token being tokenized is negative inherently
0: right having I guess being a token and having like the. I've been mean, using these no. So. huh I'm not, I wasn't even using these it was just to let people know that <laughs> I, have,
1: I have money <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, now that we've established that, (laughs) speaking of tokenized (laughs) with the um, AirPods, no. Uh, So being tokenized has inherent value in it, or at least I guess you perceive the value if you're a token that you can perhaps push the needle forward on um, representation. But that's often not the case because you're more manipulated and the value is extracted from you than you're able to get from it.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I don't think, from the perspective of, of the token in this in this case, that it is positive, but I think the people doing the tokenizing think that it is positive. Like, I think they think that they're doing something okay. um, symbolic often that they're actually not doing. But I think also that not every time that in this, in the context of this white room scenario that you are put on the show because you're being, because you're being tokenized. I think there are other reasons potentially for why you're on the show. Although being tokenized is, something that happens because they're like, oh, this lineup is looking a little pasty. And then, you know,
0: Uh, that makes a lot. Okay. so tokenized being tokenized, not being the main metric for which you're hired, but it's always like it's always in the back of your mind. Uh, And I know you've been in like writers rooms and stuff, but um, getting pushback from white peers where they have the premise that you're hired by affirmative action or to be tokenized, wherein is it's like the value is a direct clash of your merit against your merit. Does that happen frequently to you? Because I mean,
1: I think the conversation is often. Yes, yes, that does happen. But I also think that that conversation happens amongst black comics um, in terms of or like just like people have POC comics, but most of the conversation I'm, I'm having are with Black comics, um, about frustrations about not being in certain rooms, and that um, the, co- the Black comics that are allowed in, or no, I'm allowed in, I don't like that language, but the, the comics that are asked to be on lineups um, cater in, the Black comics cater in some way to white audiences in a way that I don't think is necessarily always true, and in some ways saying that actually lessens the value of the comic versus like perhaps there are comics, black comics that are in these rooms because they're doing good work.
0: You know what I mean? So, so the black comics that are in the rooms doing the good work, their voices get drowned out, yes or no, by the people who are catering to the white audiences because that might push their careers forward or does that happen much?
1: that I I mean I think that there's so many factors that go into this is actually i have been thinking about all week there's so many factors that go into getting you know like there's a lot of factors that go like getting booked is a variety of things it's like who you know right it's word of mouth it's and I think that there are a lot of circles happening at once in the comedy scene and they're not often connected and like every once in a while it's almost like a splitting of a cell or something. Like every once in a while they'll connect and then you can kind of like jump into this new circle. Um, But I think the criticism of these like white majority rooms is valid, but sometimes um, can in the conversation can unintentionally invalidate the experiences of the few black people that are in the space. And like almost- um,
0: Unintentionally?
1: Unintentionally, yeah. Because it's like, okay, black people are not in this room. Or aren't there aren't that many and the ones that are are like are not there.
0: But if I'm a white audience know? member, I can perceive that performer is speaking for all black comedians. Right? It's maybe very maybe, easy yeah. for me to make that jump, right? Yeah. Or, I feel like it's made easy for me to make that jump.
1: Yeah, it does, I can I can agree with that, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so do you think Okay, so I know we didn't really get into a personal anecdote though about tokenizer fetishism, and maybe we can come back to it. Ooh. But that issue of there being like maybe a zero sum space for or a trade off space for representation, where mm-hmm. you have um, token voices which are you know designed for. Advancement playing, catering to certain audiences, etc., cetera. And, you know, they'll double down token voices and they're being framed and used to whitewash, um, you know, authentic voices. Mm-hmm. So.
1: But I would push back on that, I think, okay. because I, I, only because um, it kind of suggests that there's like a monolithic voice and that, that's sure. kind of my, you know, like where like I said, like I wanna go back to this idea that the criticism about like white rooms is legit. Like it's a hundred percent legit, but I think in the conversation, it's very easy to, um, what is the word? To like brush aside or to like broad stroke the black comedians that are in those rooms. Okay. As like the, I think that there's a conver- there's an assumption or there there's a general like perception that if you were a black comic, doing comedy in a white room, it's because they're comfortable with you. And I just think that that can be the case, but it's not always the case. And I think it should be approached with nuance with, when when we have these conversations.
0: So, um, what's the nuance? You know, nuance is not for everybody. <laughs> 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 okay, but anyways, I'm bringing up that point to mm-hmm. get to, I see that uh, your day job and then the work you do outside of comedy is you're a content consultant. So I'm sure you Mm -hmm. have these, well, like you said, you have these conversations all the time and about the line of like inclusion and diversity and representation, Mm -hmm. who's behind the scenes versus who's in front of the camera, tokenism, uh, all of that stuff. So I say that to say you as, 30 something i'm just gonna or whatever
1: something don't we don't
0: need this 30 year old <laughs> you
1: you as Luffy. a 24 year old very Luffy accomplished just more and i don't like that <laughs> like, okay, i didn't
0: know i didn't know i didn't know your age I
1: just, wow you just like judge me off my like wrinkles like
0: i don't know no 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 uh, uh for your wisdom thank oh. you <laughs> carry on, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> but anyways, you as a 24 year old that's just absolutely doing all this stuff right mm-hmm. um, your sense of responsibility in crafting narratives or at least influencing narratives or if you have, let's say you know you have a contract on the line or something and and that's literally how you pay your rent and having that sense of responsibility to speak up, Mm -hmm. something you know when when like some issues getting steamrolled over how do you draw that line or like what what goes through your head in making that sort of decision calculus when issues like that come up because i'm sure they have for you
1: yeah i mean ultimately i think it's two things um one it's not my project right so like what happens if i'm consulting on something what happens i i'm there to consult and give my feedback but they regardless of what the topic is or what the decision they need to make, it's their decision to make. Um, so that's how I look at it. It's not my project. So like, I'm only here to consult, but, um, fortunately, a lot of the pr- things I've worked on having have included, um, or have been the-, the face has been a person of color. And so I just feel an obligation to give them the best quality content that I can create. Um, and, when we get their voice, incorporate their voice, a lot of the stuff I've worked on is involving young uh, people of color in the spotlight. And so they are, they advocate to like, let the world know that they are political. And so I try to like go with that, um, but always respectful of what their voice is and always respectful of the fact that it's not my project. So I'm, I'm limited. Um, getting hired back is not really a concern. Like, I think that's, important as long as I'm honest and I put my like I'm honest you know and that's the okay. most that I can
0: do and be respectful and
1: professional and if that's not good enough then well you know
0: that's pretty much so, it so okay so your your ability to walk away speak speak what you need to say right mm-hmm. all of that how much does that eat at you though like like ha- like heavy the heaviness of making those kind of decisions has it become easier
1: um it. Yeah, I think it's it is what it is. Like I have a really, um, there'll be other projects and there'll be other things. That, but I, I just kind of go with what I've just described to you. It's just that's like my own personal code of ethics. And so as long as I follow those, I don't feel I don't feel too bad about it.
0: That's why we love you on the podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, this is, this is great. Uh, uh, but uh, I will
1: say it hasn't been like a huge. No one's like putting like a million dollars in front of my face and being like, nice. you know,
0: so. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're establishing your long record of like a certain type of behavior or responsibility or, or, or able to wield responsibility, uh, uh, I'm sure when that kind of money comes in front of you, you know, the decision won't be too difficult to stick to what you do, maybe, hopefully. No,
1: I, I know. I agree with you. And I think that's why... Uh, I am 24, as you say, but I think
0: that- I thought you were 22.
1: You know, (laughs) on some Benjamin Button shit for sure. But like, I just, um, I I agree with you. I went into it with this idea of like, I have to have things that I'm willing to do and not do. And I have to follow that from, from the very beginning of my career until the end, right? And if it doesn't work out because I'm too committed to my morals and they're not even super like strong, it's just, don't do like racist. Uh, <laughs> like it's like really small. You know what I mean. Think, anything outside of like racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic. I'm totally fine. You know. And so yeah, it's just, it's something that I have to stick with now because it's only going to get harder if I you know start making these concessions.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So um, now I want to shift back to you being a content consultant, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at your uh, I'm looking at your LinkedIn. Uh, I <laughs> But I'm looking back at a er, way earlier job, and it says that um, you were an intern for uh, for Harriet.com and writing features, of editorials, collecting data for hard and soft news, generating click-worthy headlines, mm-hmm. by the editor, interesting web content, making blah 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 blah. blah. Sorry, I blah 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 your description. Yeah, well, blah blah blah. I did myself. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I, I, the keywords. I... <laughs> It's keywords, SEO
2: stuff. <laughs> SEO stands for search engine engine optimization. optimization yeah, and um, yeah, could you tell us how you went about working in that space, being who you are with the morals that you have, and how it affected what you've done in that mm-hmm. space?
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking about that now because like I recently, and I don't want anybody to do this, but like I looked at some of the articles and it, I was much younger when I was a part of that um, like organization. 14. Yeah, it was you know, Puberty <laughs> was really taking its toll at the time, but um, yeah, and I think that like part of it was just stuff that I want to talk about. So for Harriet, it's a black woman space. Um, so the things that that age I was interested in, colorism, uh, like feminist ideology things like that and so that's what I wrote about um, and occasionally I'll actually get people messaging a message about it like oh I read that article I'm like that's from 2013 or like 2014 or whatever year that was from but yeah
0: so so you would say you would say that because of the editorial direction of for you were able to use all of these marketing tools seo stuff the clickbaity headlines for good because mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I wanted to get into, I'm sure you're still abreast of all that stuff and as it's changing and uh, you know, with your work, I'm sure you're, you, you know, all about all the metrics and everything. So this space for marginalization of people using these enhanced tools of marketing, right? I'm sure you see bigger patterns than I can as just a consumer, Mm -hmm. but uh, are they there? Can you elaborate or am I just guessing at something?
1: I think you might be guessing at something. Okay. I mean, or can you can you rephrase the question a little bit? Okay,
0: okay. So like, okay, like Cambridge Analytica, stuff like <laughs> that, that, you know, the ability to micro target people, to use propaganda mm-hmm. uh, and individualized propaganda to, um, I guess, try to sway people. And it, it opens up this space where, um, you know, all these things are being, the real money is in pushing this propaganda, Necess, not, maybe not necessarily. And that in itself marginalizes people, but then maybe as it's reflected in like the companies that do the analysis, the metadata people and all of them, the makeup of that, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably all white and uh, Indian people or something. But um, do you think that the makeup of that, lead? Uh, in itself is a machine that marginalizes other people of color or like?
1: I, I would assume so, right? Like if it's, if it's, if the room itself doesn't have everyone in it, and if the driving force is capital. Right. right then I feel like inherently then it has to, right. also right. it has
0: to oppress. Because right. there wouldn't be anybody to say like, there wouldn't be anybody, uh, there wouldn't be like a moral compass to say like, oh yeah, this Cambridge Analytical stuff, maybe we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, so that kind of, okay. It, sorry, it takes me a while to make a point. But so that kind of thing about like navigating through the corporate space and being marginalized. And then because you're marginalized, incidentally, the higher level discretionary decisions mm-hmm. are like a feedback loop with that mm-hmm. marginalization. Yeah. So those higher level discretionary decisions leave out Black and Brown people, and because mm-hmm. of that, do you think th- because the motive is capital, it's a rational actor model, they uh, they drown out other or uh, not necessarily intentionally, but drown out other voices those other voices maybe the moral compass or some sort of like ethical responsibility in the corporate sphere because it's like you see all these bad campaigns that come out the gucci turban or like the the what you know so much shit um but like nobody it was like nobody was in the room to say no Mm -hmm. so do you think that going forward in the corporate world or the entertainment world on the corporate side or anything there's going to be a space for like some sort of like not independent commission but um, like a different sp- um, a different space that companies have in-house for like independent auditors of creative ideas that may be like diverse you know or have those ideals be like hey guys don't don't say these words because they're very coded and here's mm-hmm. why they're coded um,
1: what a terrible position to be in. To be to, be, <laughs> like that not kind of to be not to be the decision maker, but to be the one that checks the decision. Like I think that would be such a terrible, um, a terrible space. But I agree with you. That's probably what's going to happen, right? Um, um, but also sometimes I wonder. To go with the specific example of like when Gucci does that, like lip turtleneck or a turban or something like that um that nobody in the room thought that that was a terrible idea i tend to believe that they did and they realized that like the publicity would be worth a lot and they went ahead and did that uh, anyway um more so than like i think that's the thing that i don't know
0: it's like companies call- about- recall faulty products the damage done is less than the recall
1: yeah, or just like i don't know Oh, like, the public outcry I don't know if it's as damaging as we think or if those shirts those turtlenecks don't sell out um mm-hmm. coolest monkey in the jungle h&m t-shirt doesn't sell out due to the outcry like I think that we I think it's a bit of an optimistic perspective so think that or like an like you're being a bit altruistic with like the consumer and in there and how they what they choose to buy and you're kind of assuming that like people are more well-intended than they actually are.
0: So do you think in those kind of uh, boardroom environments or whatever, this strategy that you're talking about for marketing where it's like, yeah, we'll take the write-off, do you think that's discussed openly or, or like very, very closely held? And then and then the marketing campaign itself or the justification for the marketing campaign itself has gone through some sort of filter of another sales pitch, you know? To I think
1: I'd imagine it being kind of coded um, I think it might be coded. I think it might be not enough people of color in the room to be like you're saying to not to be a fact checker but just to even if they are there, they're not necessarily trying to follow, you know, like they're not gonna speak out about it. Um, yeah, but I would imagine that that conversation, if, if there is, it would be coded or I don't know like maybe this is like maybe theoretical, but like uh maybe like every year this is like one designer just has to come up with a racist thing you know <laughs> like what are we gonna do this year maybe like every year there's just a thing to do,
0: you know kind of like how uh movie studios have an allotment for one action adventure for every
1: exactly so. exactly so they're like okay they like spin a wheel and they're like okay we're gonna wear the chiefs uh native american chiefs headdress on l magazine and then that's just what happens
0: and i don't we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna do a walk back but we're gonna call ourselves a washington football team
1: exactly you know exactly <laughs> exactly I, I just think that you know i i don't know exactly how those things work um
0: no that's probably exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah. I like nailed how that one.
2: huh i feel like she nailed that one on the head i mean to have that compliance group and also the marketing wheel. They can't it, there's no way that's not being done
0: yeah I mean uh, we saw that wheel in um, the Wolf of wall Street when they're throwing dwarves on it uh, <laughs> the, uh, I've never seen it I don't I've never seen the
1: movie it's... it's fine I'll never see it okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: never anyways, I think it's just like um it's like I guess it's like a cocaine movie or something um anyways so your childhood so on this podcast uh, I'm trying to talk to like a lot of first generation uh, friends Mm -hmm. and uh, peers or immigrant peers and friends, but people that are in their industries doing things because um, I think over the course of however many episodes we'll have, Mm -hmm. uh, I want it to kind of be like a patchworked, a patch together guidebook for Mm -hmm. like younger a younger generation of color because I got nephews and nieces and stuff mm-hmm. like to see it's like oh yeah don't make these missteps or maybe these myths about this corporate thing or you know because I feel like our environments feed us a lot of bullshit and so yeah. if they could just have these kind of conversations they'd be great so that being said talking about talking with first generation people can help kind of demystify a lot of things that we don't really get to have conversations about growing up and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so, you are first generation, correct? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us what that means? Be to be first generation.
1: Um, first generation means that your parents were actually there's a whole .5 generation too. Um, so technically, my mom is .5 because I think if you got here before 13 or 14, you're considered like like you're considered to be the .5. if you got here as an adult, you're considered what? to be. I'm
0: confused. Oh, I, I think I, really, no, I definitely
1: true. fucked something up, but there is like a no. generation where if you got here as a child, you have a different label, and then if you, I'm first generation. I forgot. I totally forgot actually. But anyway, my I'm or I was the first generation born here. I'll make it a complete sentence so that it makes sense. Um, but there is a point five generation, and I think that's young adults that were born elsewhere but came here as adults in their adolescence. Oh my
2: God, point I'm five generation kid. When
1: when did you
0: come here? When like
2: 11, I was eleven years old. 11. You 11.
0: might be at the cutoff. Let's just. I, I wanna just we'll just call you an immigrant.
2: Got <laughs> Back to what I was, I guess. <laughs> Let
0: me see. I'm. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna
1: Google it real quick. Okay. Um, 1.5 individual. Oh yeah. So 1.5 refers to individuals who immigrate to a new country before or during their early teens.
0: Oh, okay. So so you made it, funny. Mm-hmm. 1.5.
1: And actually, first generation, yeah, uh, it's a whole thing. But yeah, we'll go with first generation. It has a general, like, popular culture, I meaning we all know what we're Right, you yeah, know,
0: because, I mean, growing up, you know, I was always told, well, I'm not first generation, I'm second generation, or that I'm mm-hmm. first generation, the immigrant generation is first generation. On uh, the last episode, we had Dre. He clarified it as first generation being, hey, you're just the first generation that grew up here. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I don't know, that kind of brings some clarity to it. Yeah, but uh,
1: it's a bit like, I think like the way we use, it, like it's two entirely incompatible ways of talking about it, but we all kind of understand in the context of, of what we mean.
0: Right, so, but but the common thread of growing up first generation is that you have a kind of uh, I don't know if there's a word but like biculturalism and I'm sure you have to mm-hmm. like you know balance the two you know I know mm-hmm. that I know that like have for me I grew up in Mississippi in like a whole white world so it's like balancing you know this culture of like trying to be, have friends and peers with my home culture mm-hmm. and be, like i sometimes I felt like I would I would boast about one or hide one from the other. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's probably not an uncommon thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, the bicultural thing, I just learned about that like an hour ago on Twitter. Actually, no, I learned about it from someone else who's very popular on Twitter. Uh, I I didn't just make that up.
0: No, no,
1: it's it's like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a whole whole new world. Like, I just got used to BIPOC, and they're like, "Mm, hold my beer. I got another one for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Biculturalism. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I grew up in a really Caribbean neighborhood. Yeah. So my first, I didn't really know anyone who wasn't Caribbean until middle school. Really? Yeah. Because then I, uh, my my high, sorry, my elementary school is really good. So I got to go to a local one. But then when I got to middle school, my mom was like, "Yeah, you can't stay here." So then I had to go to, I had to go across town on a yellow bus, um, and that was <laughs> the first time I, yeah, it was like real, it was like really interesting. It was a performing arts school, and so then I learned about like, I learned about a few things. I learned about like. Oh, like Russian and I'm Jewish and I'm this and I'm that. I didn't really know what that was. And then I also learned about like I'm biracial. And that was like really interesting to me too. Cause I was like, oh, that's like a thing. Like, and only cause it was like to me, like, you, your parents are two different colors. Like you want a biscuit. Like I didn't really know that. Like that was like. Cool. <laughs> like and this is like not me saying this now, but like as a as a sixth right. grade, like, as a kid, don't see color. <laughs> yeah, like you get two I remember one of my friends like telling me at the time. She's like, "I'm biracial. My mom, my dad is black, and my mom is British." And I was like, "Like literally, like I don't really understand." Especially because Guyanese <laughs> people, it's like everyone's color. a different color in your whole family. So it's like, I'm not really seeing like, why this is why you think you're special, but now I have more, you know. Oh,
0: wow. okay. Yeah. So, so growing up with multiple shades in your uh, of skin tone, I guess, in your family, yeah. multiple different, I guess, different textures of hair. And yeah, all sorts of things like that. That must mean that, when did you, so 13-ish, that's when you had that's that been, like, big hammer like, on like your 11? head, 11. Yeah, that I'm was the t- switching t- of schools. Yeah. That
1: yeah. triggered it? Yeah. I mean, I had like, dib- I like, you know, dabbled with white people, you know, like right. summer vacation, like camp, and, you know, but that was the first time uh, that I was like, oh, y'all, you, um, all different. <laughs> and,
0: and you can totally use names because it's in the past, but do you have any like specific, uh, um, like a, a story that comes to mind from when you were a kid? What What's like burning in your mind that uh, from then? That, that may be related to that kind of realization?
1: Well, sixth and seventh grade, I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs and ba mitzvahs. And that was like really, um, like I went to like, and they were so elaborate. Like they were just so just like, you know, but it was interesting to like, go to a person's uh, house of worship and temple. Like, and, I, and this is how I knew I was a good friend looking back, because I would be the only one that would go to the temple park, because that should be like six hours or like some ridiculous uh-huh. time. I mean, it was probably, like, two, but I was 11, you know. Uh, <laughs> well. So, yeah, I think, like, that's, like, the first memory that I have. Like, oh, like, people really do different things. This is so, um, this is so wild, you know.
2: Do, do Guyanese people have something like that? Like, continueras yeah. or bar mitzvahs? But, uh...
1: I think they might do, like, the Sweet 16 stuff, but there's no, like, cultural, like, I don't think that there's any, like, thing. So, like, I don't uh-huh. think that that's, like, a part of
0: it. Is there uh, well, I guess um, the Labor Day parade uh, is that that's a thing? The... I mean,
1: we have we have things like that. We've got like Masurani and and we've got like holidays, but right. like a coming of age thing, I wouldn't. Not that I know
0: of. Coming of age, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess holidays. I don't even think we've got like a coming. That's a kind of a weird thing.
1: Y'all diaspora is kind
0: of crazy, to be honest.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> like, like... let's talk about it. Run us through run from the from the bottom up, Electra.
1: Well, it's just like so fascinating to me. I I um I taught at one point uh this whole thing about like the East India Company and just like what happened prior, like what what the subcontinent of India was prior to the arrival of like Europeans. And it was just like not and I think it's like kind of the similar struggle to what's going on in the continent of Africa right now. It's just, like it had its own boundaries, there were Mongols, there were like so many people doing different things at that point. And so now it's like, post, uh, like post-independence, like post-colonization, colon- uh, you know what I mean, colonization. it's like now, it's like, we're like, you know the thing. And it's like, no, I don't know the thing. Cause I'm from like a thousand miles away. I don't know the thing, you know? So it's just kind of interesting. Um, how well, that I don't works. even know that thing. <laughs> right, it, it, But it's interesting, right? Cause it's like, and then now you have like the, the more becoming more vocal diaspora of like the Caribbean the Indo-Caribbean diaspora is becoming quite vocal right now about like their um, like affinity or like their being part of like Indian culture in a way that didn't really exist before or like wasn't really a conversation before
0: so does that mean we're about to talk about Indian matchmaker Oh God, that, that
1: was. <laughs> but I found out some background about that girl because at first I was like, first of all, the yeah, whole but we're
0: talking about Nadia, of course.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and she's Guyanese. Right, um, right. And but I found out because at first I was like, why did she even want to go on this show? Like, I'm I'm so confused about why why she wants to be on this. That's your I could, research. I have no idea. She wanted to do a match. Like, she just wanted the matchmaking part. It wasn't so much like the Indian matchmaker. It was like she was looking for a matchmaker. Um, and then like being and then i think they found their angle of, like oh she's like guy she's indo-guyanese and like what does that mean and it was, but it kind of does the show edited it to make it seem like he was like actively pursuing a guy from the continent and like that to me was kind of like a weird angle you know
0: I, yeah no it felt like or maybe it was how it was edited it was just like how is there so much like ingrained self-hate about this stuff and yeah. it, was, it was just like ah it was uncomfortable,
1: and they like took her to Sybil's, and I think it's called Sybil's, Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like Sybil's in uh, on Liberty Avenue, and it's like I'm gonna get like let me get some paratha. Mm, you know how I love this, and it's just like it was just very weird. And then it was, and then like nobody but, like you. We're we're all the same. I'm gonna get some like I don't know like Madame G, and it's like no girl. Like we have we haven't been there in like 200 years. Like you need to relax just a little bit. Really?
2: <laughs> Is there, is there no, um, how do I say this? How do you view each other being Guyanese, but like you mentioned earlier, you have so many different varieties, even in the same family. Do you consider mm-hmm. the colorism and texturism, that kind of thing within your own family to be something of like, oh, I'm better than you are, you know, like I was born this way
1: Yeah, that's like interesting. I would say, well, first of all, I think that like, my family's history, and this is like me from my perspective, I'm not like a historian in this way, but um, like my family got here to America pretty early. And I think a lot of the way that race is handled in Guyana changed post-independence because of like the black guys in power, now the Indian guys in power, you know, like it's, it became like much more murky. And for the most part, my family got here, before all that stuff happened right so I think my perspective on race might be a little bit different um I do think colorism exists Uh and I I I definitely think colorism exists I think it exists how do I say this like I think if you because like in Guyana is uh I think they call themselves like the land of three races so it's like black Indian and Amerindian and then but like demographically there's like Black, Indian, Amerindian. There's like a a group of people who are like a mixture of those things or like some kind of
0: Can you you um can you explain for us and the two people watching what Amerindian is?
1: (laughs) So that would be like the indigenous people who live usually like deep in the the inland um because like Guyana is most people live on the coast and then um it, we share like a border with Brazil and we're, we're kind of like in the Amazon, pretty much, as far as I know. I've never actually looked at the map, but I think we're in the Amazon. Um, yeah, you are. Amerindian people are like the indigenous people that were there. And there's like a bunch of different tribes.
2: There's this one really interesting thing I looked up about Guyana is Kai True Falls.
1: Yes, and cute. Like
2: history behind it. It's like supposed to be like the largest single drop waterfall mm-hmm. in the Yeah. World. But then it's named after like, it's the old man fault or something. Have you heard about this?
1: Um, I have not. <laughs> I have not, but I do know it is, it is the single tallest, a single drop, like the tallest single drop
0: waterfall in the single, world. Yeah. Single drop yeah, but- <laughs> waterfall, meaning it just drips?
1: Like, it's just, um, it's just like, there's no, I think like, like, cause I think waterfalls sometimes have like, it's something underneath that kind of, but it's just like.
0: Oh. Like, it's it's a real it's a real i thought it. i was assuming when we looked it up it was just like a quick every like it's like a massive it's like pretty pretty actually
2: it's a a waterfall but it's it's called the old man falls or something because there's like a tale of a family that put like this old guy in a boat and threw him down the river because he did something ridiculous and i was like
1: <laughs> love a good story, but um yeah. So we're, I forget we're about, but like, <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> we, um, we do have so basically like in terms of my family, I would say that like there's a lot of like we have people in my family who are straight, um like African, like I mean they're Guyanese, but they're like like African descent. um We've got people who are. 100% Indo we've got people who we don't have anyone who's 100% Amerindian I don't really know if that's like on my dad's side I can't speak to that yeah but um and people like me who are like those three things but like identify as black because we're in America but if I was in Guyana it'd be very clearly that I'm like a Dougla which is a person who's a mixed-race person
0: how do you spell like- it dougla
1: dougla dougla, dougla.
0: How, um, let's talk about your nuclear family. Do you have siblings?
1: Um, I have two half
0: brothers. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, two half brothers. But on my mom's side, I'm the only person who, who matters. So, who <laughs> matters.
0: Do people, uh. refer
2: to, do people refer to each other as Douglas? Is that like a term that people?
1: That is like, a, yeah, it's like definitely a term like, oh, she's a Douglas. Some people say Dougla, I say Douglas because I'm American, but like Dougla, um, coolie is a word that we use Um, growing up that was like like a nickname for me
0: so 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 within the community it's a term of endearment but outside the community it's a slur
1: yes i would say that like like if you go on instagram like there are like pages with this name like you know like Coolie scunts, whatever. Like there's we follow a Cooley
0: Graham, uh from our page.
1: Yes, exactly. So like the, like so it's like it's I guess it is a term of endearment. I am a bit uncomfortable, like because it's something I used growing up and didn't know it was offensive. And then the more oh, that I for me like self- I self-identify as a black person, like it's very, very clear. But at the same time, like when I'm around Guyanese people, it's like I'll get called a coolie all the time.
2: All the can time. you can you expand a little bit more on this term cooley? Because I I'm just interested to hear your yeah. take on this. Like well, what, what well, really? How we
0: know it, how we know it, there's like in India, the baggage handlers on the train, yeah. is they call them coolies. Like the red shirt. Term of, it's another, it's like a term of uh, like a colonial slur. And mm-hmm. also there was that Indian movie with this actor named Govinda. It was called Coolie number one.
1: That <laughs> explain- sounds like it'd be part of a screenplay. Coolie number one. <laughs> <laughs> the baggage you want to um, write
0: coolie number one
1: together <laughs> right. no it's, it, it's gonna be a sequel coolie number two yeah i mean my familiarity with it is just like i've always looked at it as like the east indian n-word where it's like uh-huh. if, you, if right. you can like a guyanese indian person can say it um sometimes but it's also kind of has the same in some ways, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, I would probably lean toward it being wrong, but like similarly how like there's like like a white, maybe whiteish Puerto Rican person might use the N word. Like there are black people who use that word, but I think it's become less and less commonplace. And it's more, if it's used out group, it's usually an insult. Um, But then it's also like sometimes used as like a term of like a person being attractive, right? Like, or like recognizing like they're like, It's it's a mess.
0: Is there is there an element, uh, or is there like a stigma element or an element of dehumanization to the term?
1: For sure. I mean, I don't think that's the intention when used by the in group, but I do think the origins of the word, similar to uh, the N word, uh, the C word has the same kind of. It was cre- I'm pretty sure it was used originally by this group of colonizers to insult okay. and then was eventually, uh, the meaning was changed for the in-group to use, and they use it however they they wish.
0: What about the word mamesob? Do you want to bring that back for white women? Hmm? I don't think I know that word. It's like madam. Like, it's Oh,
1: I think they're having a fine time with Karen. They're about to lose their shit over a a name that's not even, like...
0: Karen's a racial slur. I can only say it because I know, like, two Karen. Well, no, I don't, actually.
1: Not even that, like... I mean honestly it's like a little cutesy right like that's how we white fragility is like you just get a name like a regular name it's on so people's social security cards and you're like no even
0: their slur contorts with white fragility yeah, that's how, no that's how deeply
1: Shar no, no no she's gonna she's not gonna like that let's call her something else Karen okay she can accept that
0: she'll 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 live which brings me to are you religious were you religious growing up
1: no and no not at all I mean I um yeah, no. I grew up with a like a like a multi-religious family as well.
0: Which religions? Um,
1: so Catholic, Muslim. That's much, and then like some like fringe, like Rastafarians,
2: uh. and then actually some
1: fringe like people who are all white. So I guess like Pentecostals and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I've got like a bit of every. Like I've got a lot, like a bit of everything. Like some people have married like some Hindus in my family, so like, I've gotten some experience with that i've more so identify like now in my adulthood is like not i don't don't like like what's the word i don't identify as agnostic Um, but i definitely i feel like when in times i rely often on like what i know about islam and what i know about catholicism like that's kind of where i
0: go you see Um, yeah
1: so i feel like that's kind of where i'm at
0: okay you know, I just have the religion question on here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to dig more into that. I mean, I guess if you didn't grow up being pushed, well, okay, maybe like, okay, growing up, not necessarily being beholden to a certain religion or uh, mm-hmm. necessarily practicing one certain religion's practices. I'm sure that made you more open-minded as a child growing up here in school. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, you said you attended a lot of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. And that's yeah. like a, uh, uh, so you think as a child and since you didn't see like since you didn't see an issue or any issues with colorism until you were very, like an 11-ish, 11-12-ish. Yeah. right? you think growing up as a child, you were much more open minded than the other children you're growing up around? I think, so.
1: yeah, well, it's it's very interesting when you speak, right, when you said, like, my issues with colorism, and it's also, like, easy for me to say when I acknowledge that, like, I didn't have any issues with colorism because I am not really a color that people find to be, like, offensive and, you know what I'm saying, or have any issue with, like, I think it'd be very different if I, it could be, and I want to leave space for it to have been very different if I were, like, a darker skinned child. Um, or, you know what I'm saying, because it's like very easy, like I didn't have any issue with it, but it's like, yeah, we saw a picture of me growing up, like I was like light skin with long hair, and it was like very easy for me to exist in the world, like, you know, especially like in the 90s, or it's like, Sometimes I'll, I'll go back to your question, but like sometimes I'll think about like, a lot of women will say, I didn't have any representation growing up, and I'm like, I did, like, I can't bullshit, because I had Tatiana Ali, who's literally Indo-Trinidadian, Afro-Trinidadian, um, what's her name? Hillary. Like there was like a lot of like light skinned black women on television, or like brown right. skin, you know, with long hair. So now my hair short, but so I just wanted to say that and preface that, or like kind of like go back to that comment and realize right. I'm not like you know blind. Um, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. But do um. What, what was your original question, though? I'm sorry. Um. Do you, Do you feel like because you didn't have those environmental factors while you were in your very, very formative years as an mm-hmm. adolescent growing up, that that made you more open-minded and able to absorb uh, differences more rather than coloring them with certain stereotypes as a kid?
1: Um, I would say yes, but I will also say that going to that middle school gave me a complex that it took a really long time to get over. Um, mm-hmm. It was the first time that I, looking back as an adult, think that I received different treatment in the school, um, than, than I think, that, yeah, than I would have gotten if I went to like, a, like an all black school or a black and brown school. Um, so like, even though, yeah, I do think I've approached it open-mindedly, I would say that like, I did kind of leave like that space, not, in, probably thinking like the most highly of like myself or people who are like me. Like, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think I might have.
0: So that that actually brings me to a really good thing, because I think what you just said is a very common thing with a lot of like first generation people, because I find myself uh, later on in life, well, not later on in life. I'm, not, I'm still young too, but like, like after college, years and years after college, Thinking back to different experiences with a different lens or retroactively, and being like, yo, that wasn't just a microaggression, that was an aggression. Yeah, like, yo, I was you. actively being tokenized for this thing. So it's like, how often do you have these memories or whatever run through with your current, you know, your current knowledge and wisdom and filter on life? These memories run through. And how often are is it that you were in that situation where you didn't see it but it's crystal clear later
1: I think very often honestly and I think yeah very often I think even now you know I don't necessarily I don't I don't think I have the same view of myself and like my in the world and so oftentimes like I'll just like Think optimist, not optimistically. What's the word? Of like choosing to think the best of a situation um, over thinking that it might be racialized in some way, or you know, there may, that there's something else at play. Uh, I do think about my middle school experiences a lot because, like I said, I went to a performing arts school, and you would think that a performing arts school would be the space where, um, yeah you would be allowed to like be free and be animated. But I think quite quickly, I was put into the role of um, agitator. <laughs> like, you know, they, they thought I was like agitating, like, you know, like the, the bad kid, right? right? And looking back, at it is like, well, maybe perhaps because I was six feet tall in the sixth grade, right? And so like, um, you know, so I think that, like, sometimes, like, you look back and you're like, oh, that was them, that wasn't me, like, y'all were tripping, like, I was just a creative, like, that's right. what it was. Um, but, like, maybe Black girls were not given the space to be creative in in that room, or, like, in, in that space that we're in. So I think about that often, um, and I try to think about that, I, I try not to think about it when, in terms of, like, with comedy and writing and stuff, because it's just nothing I can do about it. I really try not to...
0: Why do you, why do you feel like there's nothing you can do about it?
1: Because niggas be hating, that's why. Because like, that, like a, you know, because here's the thing, right? I think that, this is about to me, this is like me going off, so please forgive no, me. No, please. So edit it out, but I think that as a black woman, there's a lot of emulating. There's like a lot of emulating and everybody wants to be black, but nobody wants to be black and- Al Mooney. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and with that comes like, a weird, like deeply suppressed, subconscious resentment of your very physical being. And it's nothing that I can address, like, I cannot address this with you that you were like in that you are um, that you're intimidated by like my power or my presence or whatever. So I'm not gonna spend any time thinking about it. I can't. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of white mediocrity right and there's a lot of like white mediocrity that's getting passed but w- at the same time like somebody had a post uh, a really highly regarded respected comic said something that was like bookers are not your friends right because it's really shitty to be standing next to talent all day when you have none and i think that a lot of times that applies to like whiteness right and i think that yeah. i can't control that uh, not to say that there aren't talented white people there are i shouldn't have to have like i shouldn't have to say that but there's a lot of untalented white people with access
0: and Right. I mean, that's uh, that kind of you step back and you look at that on like maybe a generational level or or a higher level and that it's like maybe that explains why there's all this like appropriation or gentrification, because it's like, how do we infiltrate these spaces of color and variety and culture and so we don't get insulted as basic.
1: Exactly. You know I mean? And and that's why TikTok has popped off because it's like a direct source. It's like plug. I don't know if the Matrix had plugs, but like they're plugged in. Right. right? right. And that's why like when Donald Trump was like, I'm going to shut down TikTok. I was like, yes, please, because they, they're too close to the source. Honestly, they're too close to the, you Wait, know.
0: Can you explain that, please? What do you mean the source?
1: Um, I just think that we've established this is like me. I haven't really thought these things through, but I'm going to say them because whatever. Please, please. But I, I feel like white kids are hyper aware that they don't have any culture or in the or culture in the way that is cool like they have a culture right? right but it's not like music music film not film but like music dance like a lot of the things that are accessible to kids have been dominated by black people for a very long time now. We're talking created like- hated by black
0: people. And
1: created by, yeah, it, it, <laughs> like a hundred years, right? Because right. I mean, what is the blues but what is jazz but the blues? What is blues but like R&B? Like, you know, so it's just kind of like- What
0: is Elvis but Chuck Berry?
1: Exactly. So it, I just feel like they are in some ways like kind of aware of that. But what's happening on TikTok that I find really disturbing is that it's like, I could come up with a dance right now, right? Like I'm doing it, I'm doing it, doing it. And then like two seconds later, a white girl with more followers does it. And because of the algorithm, like, she's now able to go on Ellen and be like, huh, this is so great. Like, and, and that's disgusting to me. Like, and that's really frustrating for me
2: yeah.
1: um, to yeah. have to see. And at the same time, it's like, it's like almost what's happened, but like on a macro level, it's gotten bigger. The issues right. have gotten bigger. It's, it's taking them less time to get to the, the spring.
0: Right. And even in like, even in terms of like agency representation and all of that stuff, you know those people are moving more towards these uh influencer characters tiktok stars and everything and holding them in the same regard as like movie stars in terms of mm-hmm. clientele insane like that. right and so it's like there's it's it does feel like it's kind of like uh pun intended the wild west for um you know appropriating culture mm-hmm. right so that's the source okay
2: but i mean nobody like even thinks about this, but I was thinking about it. It's so super disgusting that these TikTok stars exist. Mm-hmm. The way that they're so... They're, they're like 16 or 17 or something and thousands of people are watching them do shit like this. And it's just like super weird to me. It's, and no
1: there, I, it's insane. I was reading this thing about like... They are like we're gonna enter this space where they're on the cover of magazines like they're Ooh. doing things and as millennials we're very disconnected from like what they're actually like they're making money they're making loads they're of making money. millions
2: like making of dollars
1: millions of dollars
2: but all think about metrics. what about that means though that just means millions of eyeballs of all different ages are looking at these 16 or 17 year old girls in like bikinis dancing
1: but it, it, the whole thing, it, and I just feel so uncomfortable, even when it comes to like the Instagram algorithm. I saw this girl, and she was like singing into the mic, and it, 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 she was lip syncing, right? But she was like very like smoldering, whatever, whatever. I go on her page, and she's clearly in high school, and it's like I want. I wish there was a way for me to filter out like this kind of shit, right? Because at the, at the end of the day, and actually think about this, this is this is probably gonna edit edited out, but I think about this with porn a lot, because porn. Oh, when you're like, when you're like 18 and you're watching 18 year olds have sex, like that's normal. But if you're like 40 or like 50 or 60 or 35, it becomes kind of weird. That like, you you know, I wanted to be like less judgmental, kind of, but it's weird, right? And I think that's, what's gonna happen now, especially like, you know, somebody who's like 30 something, sir, right? Remember that from before? Okay. (laughs) it's getting you start to feel like um I don't know like I'm really starting it's starting to hit me like how young the world is and like how like I'm but now I have more access to them and it's almost like I'm I'm only 30 but I'm getting like shoved out the door that's what it feels so sorry
2: you don't think you're getting pushed into like a different bracket
0: yeah.
1: Maybe I don't really want a yoga mat so I don't really know
2: why <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not maybe not different
0: bracket maybe not different bracket, but different sphere of influence. because I, I, okay for me personally, I felt like I feel like up until I was about 27, 28, mm-hmm. I was absolutely correct about every single thing I talked about. Mm-hmm. you know but then later on, when I realized that I don't really know much, and that there's a lot to learn and know, I started uh, opening up to more people, being more vulnerable with people, mm-hmm. building more of a network of friends uh, because of that. And I relate to people around that same age for that reason, despite whatever status level they may be or however you receive it. So keeping that in mind, do you feel like you are moving into it as a narrative crafter mm-hmm. in my profession, Do you feel like you're moving into a different sphere or space of influence as you grow older and your words are sharper and you're more precise with your rhetoric and discourse?
1: I think from like a, I think, yes, but I think so, two things, one, I just don't think that young people, people like, I think we're entering a space where like really young people have, Are becoming commodified, like they're becoming products, and they don't realize that they're like turning themselves into products, and that makes me uncomfortable, right? The second part is, I do agree with you that we're I'm moving into a different sphere of influence because there's still money to be made off of me and and uh, like our you know our generation that we're still you know we're still engaged on social media just as much as them, but probably not just as much as them. But so I I think that we are yeah, there's still money to be made off of us. Short answer, so yeah, that is but I'm just more so made uncomfortable by like how little thought is going into certain things like I think about sometimes like my a lot of my friends more of my friends have kids now and they have like Instagram pages for their kids and like all of that data and one thing I think is super cool like if you imagine like your age now and you can go back to see like when you were born and you have like a a chronological timeline a chronological like visual of like your whole life that's kind of cool but on the other hand it's like it's removing choice from a person it's like you did you would you choose to do that if you could is it and i think that's kind of where i think we're entering these this dangerous place where like now from birth we're online like it's a whole life and like how do you really flesh out your real life if you're immediately online
0: right and generation z was born into this kind of social media Mm-hmm. The world and they and so they're the most commodified that's yeah. why oh that's why we're so okay with them getting killed on mass in schools
1: <laughs> there'll be more there'll be more of that but I think I don't know I just think it's like a really um We're entering a really, because now we're getting the mental health piece and we're real, like the social dilemma thing came out and we're realizing that, oh, like this is like a real thing. Like Mm -hmm. we've been manipulated. We are, we are products now and, and people are still putting their kids online. It's just kind of like.
0: Right. And apps are designed to like hit that whatever pleasure center in your brain Mm -hmm. to have you keep going back. Yeah. Like you literally have been, become addicted to these apps by design. Yep and um, Curating
1: your interests in a way, like I, I wish that there was a way for me to be like, can you stop putting these mixed race babies on my explore page? Like, I'm so sick <laughs> of this shit. Because, like, somebody, you know, like, because your friend, like, their interests end up on your wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, side.
1: why? Um, because I think it's, I think that's fetishization. I think it's weird. Well,
0: I don't so think can we that go anything. back to tokenization or fetish. So, yeah. how is that fetishization? Please tell us.
1: I just think it's really, it's, it's because a lot of times, right? Um. Like I said, like a lot, of, like I have this really bad joke I never told on stage. Where I'm like, black and Indian is just a Dominican person. Like it's is, like black and Dominican just make. Sorry, black and Indian just makes do- like Dominican, and that's boring. I say this day so, that like nobody cares. Like no one's like, oh, that's, like <laughs> no, that's exotic. No. Could you just make a browner person? Like that's all that is. Like you don't really get anything <laughs> interesting out of that. But I think that the whole mixed race thing is going back to like the features of a person of color but like not the complexion. It's always like a person with like like a baby that's like maybe uh, like, I'm trying to think of someone like Steve Curry's complexion with like, I
0: don't know. Uh, Blake Griffin's hair.
1: Blake Griffin's hair and Anderson Cooper's eyes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and like, uh, think of whatever black person with full lips. So it's just, to me, it's just like a very uncomfortable thing. And it actually reminds me of this concept of, uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it, like I've done everything, but Blanquiamento, which is like the lightning of a race. And so there's this really famous portrait of a Brazilian family. And it's like the the beginning of the family is the grandmother and the grandmother is like very dark. And then there's her daughter, her daughter is probably like my complexion. And then there's a daughter with her child and the child is like a white kid. And I think that like a lot of the stuff that we see on Instagram, like the mixed race stuff is not so much like a celebration of, but like a weird, like, like a weird like science project that like has like black usually as the base, but like, let's add some more things into there. Let's uh, get some more stuff.
0: You think it's like an unintentional generational ethnic cleansing?
1: I don't think it's unintentional at all. No, I definitely think oh. we are. I think that there's this weird, and this is like, this is gonna get me canceled. I already know. But I find it sometimes also deeply frustrating. Like in commercials, there's like, a, I talk to my mom about it all the time. She's like, I'm so tired. So my mom is not obviously is a mixed race person. She's not like a, you can be mixed race and racist, but she's like complaining that there's a lot of like interracial couples on television, but there's not any like black couples. There's not any like Indian couple. Like there's just like, and there's always, one of the couples is always a white person. Like it's very rarely. Like, yeah, no, it, and it, it's really frustrating because it feels very intentional. It feels like, and then once again, we can look at other, we can look at countries that have done this. like. It, being black in Brazil is not a positive experience. Being dark in any part of the world is almost inherently, uh, some has some kind of form of subjugation attached to it. So it right. feels very intentional and it feels like, it doesn't feel like, oh, we've gotten to this space of equality where everyone's like, I'm fucking everybody. It's like, no, that's not where we're at. You know, it, it doesn't feel that way. It feels very um,
0: so feels gross. Calling back <clears throat> to the beginning of the interview. So mm-hmm. do you think that is a, potential consequence of there being that limited space of representation and the tokenized voices saying oh yeah we're out here fucking everybody drowning out the voices of hey you know we're being ethnically cleansed with this recklessness
1: i think the converse and this is this is like i've already given you a lot of weird answers but I feel as if and I'm sorry. If this whole we're
0: gonna to work together on editing this. <laughs> uh, I promise. I promise. I'm sorry.
1: This whole podcast
0: was like electric. we will we will edit the shit out of this episode. It'll be a 20 minute episode. No,
1: but um, I feel as if like what's not coming up in the conversations about like mixed races, mixed races, that is a, like colorism has very real, tangible advantages, right? Like it's not. It's like okay, yeah. There's like the. It, it, it's that and it's also like no one wants to acknowledge the second part of like uh cultural capital like there's like real cultural capital attached to these things my eyes were green I'd probably have an easier life like that's and it's like bizarre right like that's like a super strange thing to be like my eyes were blue my life would be better but
2: it would that now with DNA splicing and all that stuff you could even have like I think it all you mentioned it earlier it's it's all the it's it's the matrix and it's so crazy that you mentioned the matrix and I'm glad we're editing this out, but I was reading an I'm article.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Well, I was reading an article last night for some reason about the matrix. And then like, it led me to, cause I'm doing this SEO stuff and I'm trying to understand how Google ranks pages. So mm-hmm. I'll go through every single, like, I'll go through different links. I'll try to figure out like how it's really working, you know, like how Google works. And I came across this article about how the matrix is basically about trans people and yes, it is yeah. mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? I did not." Even the the, the creators of Wachowski, uh, Wachowski sisters,
0: Wachowski
2: sisters. three brothers, but now they're sisters. And thank you, like Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> sisters.
0: sisters. <laughs> That doesn't say that on my DVD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, that, that's a that's incredible. It's, it's,
2: it's this whole idea that you can go online and be anything you want.
0: Right. No, I mean it's just uh, just like in any fictional thing, and we talk about this a, a lot, and you know, it's crafting fictional narratives, you know, the best ones are the ones that take this heavy concept and code it into some sort of extended metaphor. And so the matrix is that extended metaphor for mm-hmm. this transformation or, you know, like how you perceive and all that stuff. That yeah. Is, oh, I'm right. like really super into science fiction right now. Like I oh, yeah?
1: have a greater appreciation for like what it actually.
0: What means. are you, what are you, what are you into?
1: Um, I, I've been watching Lovecraft Country, which I that's consider crazy. to be science fiction.
0: I heard that's like Afrofuturism. I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it's Yeah, like I think it's like a
1: lot of like Octavia but like, uh, I think there's like some like light Octavia Butler stuff in there. Um, I've been watching, I mean, some movies I just love, like, Interstellar, Arrival, things really solid. Um, I've just been, like, really trying to get into it more because I think I just understand it better and also just because I'm, I'm kind of, int- I'm interested in writing, I'm currently writing something that's supposed to be science fiction and I realize, like, there's not enough science in it and I gotta figure. Tell
0: us anything <laughs> about that?
1: Um, yeah, sure. If, I'll tell, just edit it out, just, you know, I'll well, tell you. about do tell but, us
0: I'm not
1: gonna edit it No, out, well, okay, fine,
0: whatever. It's about
1: a girl... <laughs> Who I mean, it's not it's not like proprietary.
0: Give us anymore. a general. Give us a general. Just general
1: things. Uh, waking themes. up from being cryogenically frozen, and just like the the ethics that come into like what Yo. when you, you wake up in a world from being cryogenically frozen and you had no family, what would you do?
0: Yo, I saw your post on that asking. I thought you were talking about that like Netflix thing that's coming out where they froze her their daughter.
1: So I watched it, and that's what and that's where I got the idea because it's to me it's like a super fascinating thing is just so much about like what your thoughts are in the afterlife it, it, but also just like is it fair to so basically like my, my protagonist is like a person who wakes up their parents or their family's dead they don't really have that much money it's just why they've been woken up and they've been like in a vr thing and now they have to like deal with the world the real world and like have to exist with like the social mores that's so fucking time. cool so that's what i'm working on
2: Oh gosh, yeah, anybody,
0: I gonna, anybody can take that idea like nobody
2: wants that and right well i mean it's how you job execute
0: job. it it's your tone it's your your environment the way you grew up and everything that's going to make it unique and the fact that you're a comedian you know how to craft narratives you know mm-hmm. about all this metric stuff and whatever and this is a great uh time to wrap up this conversation anyways because we've been going on <laughs> way too long sorry no i love it this is one of the best conversations i feel like we've had um especially you know for this podcast i think like you definitely you got into like a lot of things that i think the younger people might not necessarily see because you know we're bombarded with coded rhetoric all the time and so decoding it and you know i think we talked about you know when you're getting older and you're getting in that different sphere or space of influence i think with the thing that we serve being in that, getting into that sphere of influence is working as the decoders of a lot of this rhetoric until or unless we're co-opted by the machines that do code the rhetoric, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I, I'm sure that you are just as I am, just as funny is, we're code switching is effortless to us. No? Your thing froze.
2: Did you just say code switching? Can you hear me now?
0: Yeah. Okay. No, I said just like like Fani and I are. I'm sure you are as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, code switching is almost like effortless to us with the biculturalism and you know growing up in that kind of thing. But having to be in different environments, sorry. yeah. <laughs> no, again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, that's too funny.
2: Wait,
0: let's do a screenshot real quick.
1: We'll do it later.
2: That's what that was. I was like, what happened right now? Um. <laughs>
0: I was doing tom Greenface, <laughs>
2: um
0: but yeah no anyways i think i think with that maybe the angle of all of these conversations is to help decode a lot of this like evilness for younger people because the younger people the generation z is so commodified from the get-go without yeah. really being able to see it's like being a fish in water or being like that the frog that bought in a steady boiling pot. So, I mean, yeah, I think that was great. You know, like uh, this was great. You had, you gave us a lot of insight and um, thank you so much for being on. Um, uh, You know, we really appreciate having you here. And I know people that are watching really appreciate this and, Mm -hmm. um, you know. Wait, my screenshot
1: came out bad, we gotta do it again. Smile. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> All right, you guys have been great.